Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Dischem Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Ian Gerson. Thank you for joining us. Hope everybody is well and keeping safe. And we are very happy to be joined by Dr. Talia Mikhailovic today, who is a general practitioner working in aesthetic medicine. Talia, thank you for joining us today. Hi there, and uh, thank you so much for having me. Great. I'm sure um, everybody's very excited to uh, listen to what you say. Often, you know, um, I think cosmetic medicine or aesthetic medicine was previously, you know, to do subject. And uh, now it's becoming more and more normal, more and more people having it. And we're going to speak about using it for aesthetic cosmetic reasons. We're going to speak about using it for um, for um, actual medical uh, treatment. So uh, tell me, uh, Botox is a brand name. It's uh, botulinum toxin. And uh, it was originally made, I guess, for chemical warfare. But we realized that uh, it paralyzes muscles. How does Botox or botulinum toxin actually work? Um, so you're quite right. Um, initially, um, botulinum toxin was uh, discovered as a form of food poisoning um, made by a bacteria called Clostridium botulinum. And um, doctors then realized that the way in which it works is by paralyzing or relaxing muscles. And this is obviously something that is potentially very therapeutic um, in a lot of different conditions. And, uh, in fact, the first um, place where it was used in medicine is in ophthalmology, where it was used to treat strabismus, which is squinting. And a lot of people don't realize that. Um, they think that Botox is synonymous with um, aesthetic medicine or just for the treatment of wrinkles. Um, it was only in 2002 that Botox was first registered um, for aesthetic purposes. And how it works is that the molecule works at the neuromuscular junction, which really is the place where the nerve communicates with the muscle. And it prevents the nerve communicating with the muscle and as a result of that, the muscle relaxes. So that can be used in different fields of medicine. And from an aesthetic point of view, that is used in the muscles of facial expression. So we all have tiny muscles that are under the skin, and those allow us to frown, to crinkle up our eyes, to lift up our eyebrows, and what happens with age is that from the overactivity of those muscles, we develop creases or wrinkles in those areas. Um, and those can lead to an unpleasant looking expression. So someone might land up looking angry, even when they're not angry, as a result of the lines that are between the eyebrows, which are the frown lines. And uh, Botox will then work to 
relax those muscles and as a result of that, the lines will smooth out. Um, so that's the general principle of how botulinum toxin or as you said, Botox is, we generally, I think the public is aware of Botox, um, but in fact there are different formulations of botulinum toxin, one being Botox, the other one available in South Africa is Dysport, um, and overseas there are other brands. They all work in exactly the same way. Okay, amazing. So, um, how do you, and I assume this is a, well, not I assume, I know, but if you listen to our listeners, this is a prescription medicine. It's not that uh, people can buy over the counter and use it themselves. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think one has to remember that this is a very powerful medication um, and used correctly, it's extremely safe. We use it in very tiny doses, um, yeah. but it certainly is not something that uh, people should be playing around with themselves and wouldn't be able to have access to that. Okay, we're going to take a short ad break and after this we'll come back we'll talk about some misconceptions of Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we're speaking to Dr. Natalia Natalovitz, and she is an aesthetic medicine practitioner. And we're busy speaking about Botox and how it works. Talia, tell me, what are some of the misconceptions about uh, botulinum toxin, about Botox? Um, I'm pleased that you've asked me that question because I come across it quite often. Um, I think the first thing is that many people believe that botulinum toxin or Botox is very dangerous. And what one has to keep in mind is that it's been used um, in medicine and for therapeutic uh, uses for over 30 years and has had numerous safety studies uh, which has then been collated and there have been no serious consequences or side effects whatsoever uh, for this, uh, which is very unusual for any medication. Um, in fact, the worst possible scenario would be if it was used correctly in the therapeutic doses, the worst case scenario would be, say, a drooping eyelid or eyebrow, a skew smile, none of which are very pleasant to have, but they're more of an inconvenience. Um, and all of those would be reversible. Um, I think what, uh, what affects people is the name toxin. When you hear toxin or toxic, that's obviously something that is quite alarming to hear. No one feels they want to put a toxin in their bodies. Um, but what one has to remember is that a toxin really is any substance which, given in sufficient quantities, would cause harm to the body. So if one considers then many other things, such as a glass of wine, even salt, or your common paracetamol headache tablets, um, one can take excessive amounts of those things, and as a result, that can be toxic to the body. Um, in fact, if one looks at paracetamol, one only needs eight times the daily recommended dose um, to have 
a very serious um, effect on the body, possibly fatal. Whereas when we're talking about uh, botulinum toxin, you would need about 300 times the dose that we would normally use in a face to cause um, any sort of systemic negative effects. So from that point of view, it really is very safe. Um, the other thing that people sometimes believe incorrectly is that Botox is addictive um, and that is really just not true. Um, if we look at how we describe something that is addictive, we're looking at something called tolerance, which means the more or the longer you use it, the more you're going to require to get the same effect. So if we would look at alcohol, the longer someone drinks alcohol, the more they will need to become inebriated. So someone who is um, not used to alcohol would become inebriated with a small amount, whereas someone who's a very seasoned drinker would need to drink quite a lot more to get the same effect. Now, with botulinum toxin, we actually have the opposite in that the longer one uses the treatment, the less of the product one needs for the same effect. Um, so why then do people continue? And I think this is where people would say it's addictive, is that they'd say, well, once you start, then you never stop. Um, and I say, well, it's as addictive as a good haircut, is that if you like the way you look and you like the way you feel, you want to continue. But there would be absolutely no problem if someone decided after having had the treatment um, for any period of time that they wanted to stop the treatment, um, the effect would wear off and uh, there would be absolutely no harm done. In fact, they would be better off because the treatment would have prevented aging or deepening of those wrinkles for the period of time which they had used it. So those are some of the misconceptions that I come across quite quite often. Okay, sure, yeah, I've heard of the, the exact same. How long, um, just so you did have a droopy smile or ptosis drooping of the eyelid or was injected into the wrong place or the Botox um, spread to an area that you didn't want, how long would this last for? Um, so your maximum would be, um, let's say maximum situation would be three months because that's what the effect um, of botulinum toxin, that's how long it lasts. Um but usually it would be a lot shorter, it'd be a few weeks. Um, and obviously that does just bring up the, the issue of choosing your doctor very carefully because most of these can be avoided by a, a careful injection technique. So those are not really uh, results that, that we want. Of course, um, you know, we need to be prepared that one can face so, such uh, things, but any of those would be completely reversible. All right, perfect. We're going to take another shorter ad break and then come back. Maybe we can start talking about fillers. We'll be back after this. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we are speaking to Dr. Talia Natelovitz, who is a general practitioner practicing in aesthetic medicine. And thank you for joining us. We've just been 
talking about Botox as part of aesthetic medicine. Uh, tell me, Talia, uh, do you do fillers as well? What exactly are fillers and how do they um, work? Yes. So, in fact, um, in terms of the type of treatments that we can offer and the effects that we can um, produce or the results, um, fillers have really uh, taken a much bigger place uh, than Botox because Botox is limited to certain areas and really addressing specific wrinkles, whereas fillers can be used a lot in a lot more areas of the face um, and can really have a, a very natural um, rejuvenating type of effect on the face. So I always find the term filler to be uh, a bit of a um, uncomfortable term for me because it reminds me of polyfiller, which is really not, not what fillers are about. Um, so certainly in the initial days, uh, we did use fillers to do exactly that, which was to fill up wrinkles. Um, and yes, that is still one aspect that or one of the functions of a filler. Um, but we really use fillers now mainly to sculpt the face and restore a, a youthful contour or to enhance certain aspects of the face. Um, and let me just explain that to the listeners in terms of the um, restoration or the rejuvenation process is we have to remember that our faces age in all layers from the skin um, to the fatty layer and, and down to the bony layer. And therefore, if we want to reduce or reverse um, aspects of this, we need to address all of those things. So what happens is the face is one area where we really do want fat. Um, and when that is lost with age, one tends to get a, a very gaunt type of effect to the face, which is very aging. Um, and the other thing is that one tends to then have sagging of the face. So just on a, on a very basic level, if we're comparing the face to a grape, um, if we then are going to reduce what is inside that grape by, let's say it becomes dried out, then you can imagine that grape now shrivels up and becomes a raisin, which is definitely not what we want to look like um, with aging. So what we need to do then is to reinflate that. And when I say reinflate, um, please do not think that I'm saying we want to make you look puffy um, because a lot of people will have that um, idea from seeing um, the Hollywood stars who've really had fillers done terribly or in excess and they have that puffy look. We're just wanting to generally restore the volume that was there, which is what has been lost from the fat layers of the face. And um, as I mentioned, the bony structure of the face um, also shrinks or gets resorbed with age. And that's really responsible for holding up the foundation of the face. So if we think of the face as a house, we have a foundation, we have walls, a roof, and interior decorating. And um, the bony structure of the face is the foundation of the face. And we use fillers then to restore that foundation of the face. Once we've done that, we can then look at the volume of the face. And so overall, 
this is really facial sculpting, which is the art of aesthetics. Um, Botox can be seen as a science because it's um, fairly standardized, um, whereas treatment with fillers really needs to be individualized, and that's really where one has to have that artistic eye to see where to place um, to get a very natural effect, which is what, what we want. Um, in terms of, um, you mentioned um, what are fillers made of, so they, broadly speaking, there are two categories of fillers. Um, the initial ones that um, came out are called the HA fillers or hyaluronic acid fillers. And those are, those consist of hyaluronic acid, which is something that normally, we normally find in the skin. It's a natural part of our skin in the deeper or the dermal layer of the skin. And it's very hygroscopic, which means that it absorbs water. It's like a sponge. And with age, the amount of hyaluronic acid in our skin becomes um, less and less. And as a result, the skin then loses its firmness, its elasticity, its glow. And we use this natural substance, obviously manufactured in a laboratory, to replace the lost volume. The other fillers, which are really uh, very exciting as well, are fillers that we call non-HA fillers. And they have a gel in them, which gives us the same effect to volumize, to smooth wrinkles, to restore the foundation of the face, but they are also called biostimulators, which means that they stimulate the um, individual's own collagen production, um, which, as you can imagine, then has that double effect and a long last, longer-lasting effect. Um, there are indications for both, but it's really great to, to have that versatility. Okay, and do you want to maybe tell us about uh, some of are there complications associated with fillers? I believe that these are reversible. Um, okay, so when it comes to fillers, I think it's it's crucial that people choose a very well trained aesthetic doctor. Um, one can certainly dissolve fillers. Um, the HA fillers are easier to dissolve than the non HA fillers. And what we use for that is a substance called hyaluronidase, which is an enzyme that can dissolve the filler. So if someone then has some, um, let's say, a result which they don't like or their doctor might have misplaced it, which really we don't want to do, um, and their doctor really shouldn't do that, um, one can inject this and, and dissolve the filler. But, you know, one very rarely wants to, to go to that. Firstly, one wants to prevent um, issues like that from occurring. Uh, and uh, so it's something that really is not uh, performed very, very often. But it is comforting for the patient to know that, you know, if they're really not happy, they can dissolve the filler. Um, but um, what people have to realize is that an aesthetic procedure is a medical procedure, and that's particularly true when it comes to a filler or threads, which we can mention later, because there can be um, more serious consequences if, for example, a filler is injected into a blood vessel. And that's why it's absolutely crucial that the doctor that you're choosing is very well aware and knowledgeable about the anatomy of the face. 
Um, so I would say that is your your worst possible um, scenario, which would which would be that some sort of a vascular effect. One would then need to dissolve the filler um, quite urgently, and uh, obviously, you know, when one is trained, one then learns and knows how to avoid that by avoiding injecting into an area where there are blood vessels. So that's really the danger of um, going to a practitioner who is not well-trained um, and therefore could land up having complications like that. And uh, does the body break down the fillers by themselves? Yes, um, that's quite true because um, hyaluronic acid is a natural component of the skin, we do have our own enzyme, which is hyaluronidase, that breaks it down. Now, in our skins, we are constantly forming hyaluronic acid, and it's then getting broken down by our body's own hyaluronidase enzyme. And with time and aging, that is when our production decreases, but the breakdown still continues, and that's why we lose the amount of natural hyaluronic acid that we have. So when the fillers are manufactured, that hyaluronic acid needs to be stabilized because if it wasn't, it would be broken down very quickly if it was not stabilized. So in its stabilized form, um, it then lasts for a longer period of time, but eventually, yes, will be dissolved by the body. Um, the time taken for that would depend very much on the the type of filler that's used. So... Um, some fillers might last for nine months, um, going on to 18 months. And then the HA fillers will last, the non-HA fillers can last a lot longer than that. Um, they can last, let's say, two, three years. Um, so, yes, just a short answer to your question is definitely one's body does break down um, the HA fillers on their own. And the non-HA fillers actually break down as well, um, not due to the body's enzyme, but as a natural part of the molecule that's used, will also break down with time. Okay, amazing. Um, so do you do something in your practice also called threads? Or thread? uh, yes, so we do that. Um, so, what, so what are threads? So threads are really um, what you, we would call in medicine sutures or what the lay public would call stitches. And uh, it really is a suture or a filament which we place uh, under the skin. And there are two types of threads, and people sometimes get confused about the two. Um, and I find often when I mention threads, people become very alarmed, uh, thinking that we're going to string up their face in some sort of a weird way. Um, but the one type of thread, which is called a PDO thread because of the substance that it's made of, which is called polydiaxinone, is something that is really a very tiny filament. It's, it's thinner than a hair. Um, and it's inserted in the skin in, in a process which is almost like a, an acupuncture needle, which goes in just under the skin surface, and then the needle is withdrawn and the tiny filament is left behind. And what that does is it stimulates collagen synthesis. That is the purpose of that thread, to stimulate collagen, and that will naturally firm up the skin. Um, the thread itself then dissolves. It's fully biodegradable. 
and what is left is the own the person's own natural collagen has has been um, stimulated and produced. And this is something that one would need to keep up. In fact, that's true of all aesthetic treatments because one is aging all the time. And um, so if one wants to maintain that effect, then that is something that should be repeated. Now, the other type of threads are um, the threads made of polylactic acid or PLA. And that is more of what we call a suspension thread. So it's also something that dissolves. It's um, a little bit stronger than the PDO thread. And it's not only for collagen stimulation. It also gives a lifting of the face. So how we insert that is under local anesthetic. So the type of anesthetic injection that your dentist would give you. And then we make um, a very tiny um, puncture or a prick with a needle, which is almost like when you have blood taken, and the thread is inserted through that tiny hole under the skin. So everything that happens then is under the skin, um, which then, because there are no nerve endings under the skin, the patient doesn't feel. So the thread is inserted under the skin, and we're then able to place a little bit of traction on that, which allows us to lift the sagging skin. And that's your initial effect. Um, but what then happens over the next few months is that thread um, again stimulates collagen, but in a stronger way. And what happens then is your body creates natural collagen tension, which is creating that lifting effect. So what starts off as a small lifting effect by a tiny thread, now you have your own collagen giving you a natural lift to the face. And that's why you are getting a very natural result um, with the thread. I think, does that, um, does that explain it? Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we are speaking to Dr. Talian Telovitz, who is an aesthetic medicine practitioner. And we have been speaking about Botox, we spoke about fillers, we spoke about threads. And do you do any skin treatments? What skin treatments are available um, through aesthetic medicine doctors? Um, so I'm pleased that you asked that question because um, sometimes people are very focused on the Botox fillers threads and forget about treating their skins. So, you know, at a very basic level, um, one needs to, and I'd say the most important thing one can do for one's skin is to wear sunscreen. And that's something, a very, very basic thing that people tend to forget to do. Um so that would be my, my one message to our listeners is that the most important cream you will put on your face is your sunscreen. Um, but other than that, we do have dermaceuticals, which are creams that have um, active ingredients, uh, which can affect the skin in terms of the tone, the texture of the skin, the elasticity of the skin. And then in addition to the home care, um, which which the, the patient or client 
needs to use. We have certain procedures that we perform in the clinic. And in a sense, all of these procedures are aimed at achieving the same result and mainly from the point of view of collagen stimulation because collagen is really the framework of the skin. Um, it's it's uh, protein fibers that are in a crossover uh, manner in the deeper layers of the skin. So whatever we can do to enhance that collagen is going to improve the skin. And what's a bit of a, a scary fact is that we start le- losing the amount of collagen in our skins by 1% a year from the age of 20. Um, so that's really a reason that you know we need to start looking after our skins from an early age. Just as an example of some of the treatments that we have, we have skin peels, um, which uh, can be very gentle. Often people panic when they hear peel and they imagine that their whole skin is going to peel off. One gets deeper peels, more superficial peels, and that's mainly aimed at keeping that cell turnover going. Um, um, it also does affect collagen, but by keeping your skin active, it's like sending your skin to gym. So... You know, the same as one would look after one's body by going to gym regularly, one wants to keep one's skin active, and that's what one can do with skin peels. Um, another treatment which has become increasingly popular and is also very effective is microneedling, um, and that uses a device that also stimulates the skin, but by creating tiny little injuries to the skin. So... We tend to think of an injury as something negative, which we want to avoid, but by having a tiny controlled injury, we stimulate the body's response to that, and the body's response to any injury is healing. So that then stimulates your body's, again, collagen production, um, and all the cells that are involved in healing the body uh, will come to the fore and therefore rejuvenate the skin naturally. Um, there are a lot of other devices that one can use, um, heat-based devices or light-based devices, so laser treatments um, we can use, and uh, something which the listeners might have heard about, which is called, uh, or I think the lay public sometimes refers to it as a vampire facial, which is PRP. Um, so PRP is used um, in different parts of medicine, and... Um, from an aesthetic point of view, what we do there is that we take a sample or specimen of blood and we spin it down on a machine called a centrifuge, and that allows us to extract a part of that, which is called the platelet-rich plasma, um, which contains growth factors, um, which can then be injected or with microneedling put back in the skin and exactly cause that same process of healing and of regeneration using your own body's fluid, um, which is also um, becoming a, quite a popular treatment. Um, I think what's important to remember is there's no one uh, um, silver or gold bullet that's going to solve everything in terms of aging. One really needs to use a combination of treatments, and uh, that's where we bring all these things together in aesthetic medicine. Um, So we look at a face, and we 
can then decide where the priorities are. If it's a problem with the skin surface, then we need to bring in those skin treatments. If there's a loss of volume, loss of contour, we need to look at fillers. If there's sagging, we need to look at threads. Um, if there's specifically deep wrinkles, we need to look at Botox. But in most cases, one really needs to do a combination of all the treatments to get the best effect. Amazing. I guess that uh, stresses the importance of going to a good practitioner who knows all the different treatments and what would be right for different parts of your face. Absolutely. Which brings me to my next question. Um, so what, when you're choosing an aesthetic practitioner or doctor to go to, what should you be aware of and how do you know who to choose? Okay, I think that's really important uh, for the public to know and, and to be aware of because I think a lot of um, – there are many, many doctors uh, who are using Botox fillers in their practices, um, and unfortunately some of them are not as well trained as they could be. Um, and I think the public generally trusts that a doctor knows what he or she is doing, but when it comes to aesthetics, because it is a new field – there isn't really one standardized training procedure that one goes through in order to treat someone from an aesthetic point of view. So one can, as a doctor, do um, – any doctor can go and do a one-day course, literally one day, and can then go on to inject with Botox and fillers from um, an ethical point of view, from a legal point of view. But really where the training comes in is on the, the years that one then spends afterwards – constantly training because the field is constantly evolving uh, and one really does need to stay up to date um, with what's happening in the field. So I would recommend uh, strongly that um, uh, people or people seeking treatment rather go to someone who specifically deals in that field as opposed to someone who does it as a sort of an add-on to their practice. And the reason is that because things are developing so rapidly, one really needs to focus on, on aesthetics and, and attend a lot of training sessions, which I think if this is a very small part of your practice, you really don't have the time to do. Um, the other thing to bear in mind, as we said, this is a medical procedure, and safety is absolutely number one. In, in terms of my treatments, it's absolutely safety first. Um, and one really has to avoid what tends to happen is a bargain hunting type of mentality where people will choose the cheapest doctor, um, who sells fillers at what price. And we need to remember that's what's more important than the filler. Um, and obviously one needs to have a product which is a very good quality and a safe product to use. But what's equally important is to have a safe and good injector. Um, so one is there is um, a skill required in placing that filler, as we discussed uh, previously, and it's really not worth it, um, I would say, for someone to save a few hundred rand um, and then have someone who maybe is not experienced and could unfortunately lead to complications. Okay. So, so we're going yeah. to need to take another, another short ad break. We'll be back after this. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. 
Welcome back to Just Care Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we're speaking to Dr. Talia Mutelovitz, and we're speaking about aesthetic medicine. Talia, we've got a few uh, minutes left. Um, I know cosmetic medicine or aesthetic medicine was previously a taboo, and being a religious Jewish woman, uh, maybe you can answer both of those questions. How has it changed, and how do you, you view aesthetic medicine? Um, sure, that's quite a big uh, topic to to cover at once. Can try in two minutes. Can <laughs> try in two minutes. Okay, I'd say overall people have realised what the benefit is of looking after their appearance and seeing the benefits in terms of not really necessarily how they look, but how they feel about themselves and how they then relate to the world in terms of that. So that fits in then in terms of. Um, from uh, our perspective as a Jewish woman, it really depends what your focus is. One wouldn't want to, as a Jewish woman, focus entirely on the physical, but at the same time, if one can use the physical or use how one feels about oneself to be a happier, more grateful, more joyful person, then that's really um, really a wonderful thing. And there's absolutely no um, halocha, there's no concept that a woman should not look beautiful. It's not a, not a mitzvah to, to look old and haggard at all. Um, and I think people in general, and I'm seeing this more in Jewish women as well, are letting go of that guilt associated with looking after ourselves and realizing that there really is a, a, a deep emotional benefit apart from just the physical side of things. Um, in terms of aesthetic medicine and, and how things have changed, I think a big, um, a big thing there is prevention. A big part of aesthetic medicine, we actually call it aesthetic and anti-aging medicine because we're not only looking at treatments, we are also looking at prevention. So a lot of younger people are making use of aesthetic treatments from their 20s, 30s, um, and there's so much that one can do today to delay the aging process to age in a more beautiful way, um, and um, that's really where things are going, which is in terms of earlier treatments and um, therefore getting better results um, with those treatments. Um, there's really, I think, that um, people are becoming more educated, and the more educated people are becoming, the more they're seeing what options they have. And I would really encourage people encourage the listeners, find out a little bit more about what you can have. People are often surprised by what we can offer them. Um, maybe go and just speak to an aesthetic practitioner and find out um, how you can be helped, how you can make make use of this amazing technology. Um, and then the decision is yours. Um, it's obviously a very personal decision. And, yeah. uh uh, yes, one should never feel pressured by anyone to have an aesthetic treatment. Uh, it really is a personal decision. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Natalia um aesthetic medicine practitioner. Can you tell us how do people get hold of you if they want to get hold of you? Um, sure. They can uh, They can send me an email um, on doctor. That's spelled out in full, D-O-C-T-O-R, Talia, T-A-L-I-A, um, at mweb.coza. Um, alternatively, they can phone the practice number, which is 071-902-5808. Thank you so much, Dr. Talia and Thank you to everybody 
who has joined us today to listen. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week again for another episode of Disky Medical Monday. I'm Dr. Dean Gerson. Thank you for joining us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life.